hello and welcome back. It is another time to join me on the third place. We came from Portal. We exited through the portal and now we're here to dive into the sinister, dark, confusing, eclectic world of Suda 51 and Killer 7. I am overjoyed. I'm happy to have my tonight's guest on. He's one of my favorite people on Twitter. Uh, you probably know him. Uh, that is Zane. How are you doing tonight, Zane? Doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm just peachy right now. Uh, well, for one, as we were talking beforehand, the new Resident Evil 4 remake trailer like gave me a, a espresso shot into the system. So I'm like hyper as ha- as can be for that next month. But I'm just personally very happy to have you on i've loved your appearances on on tpn and i'm so popular you know that utada episode is a personal favorite of mine oh Uh, man that's so nice yeah i mean i i you know zach got me on the utada train proper but it's just like i always like to sit my ass down and listen when Mm -hmm. the utada when the utada episodes happen so it's always a fun to have that and it's you know i have enjoyed you're like, you know, when you appear and then you just kind of go back into the Texas, you know, fields, uh, <laughs> delivering packages as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just very happy to have you on for, I think it's a niche game, but if, if someone has played this game, they know, and they appreciate it, I think just like you and I do, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to ask you, Zane, as I do with everyone on the show, their first time around is your gaming history. So where does Zane's gamer history start? Um, probably with uh, my best friend, Sam, growing up. He uh, always had, let's see, he had a PS1 and had like, Mortal Kombat, Crash Bandicoot. Um, there was a lot more, but just those that I remember playing the most. And then he got a PS2 and started playing that a lot. And I wanted one myself, but <laughs> I don't. I, I don't remember what the reason was. I think my dad didn't want me to turn into a gamer, so <laughs> I never. I never had one at the house. But uh, not long after the PS2 came out. Uh, my uncle Daniel gave me his uh, his hand me down N64 and Sega Dreamcast. Oh, that's awesome! And he had all the game, like all the good games. Um, <laughs> like with the Dreamcast, he gave me Crazy Taxi, Sonic Adventure One and Two, um, Skies of Arcadia, which is another Ooh, one of my yeah, favorite classic. games of all time. Um, what else? What else? Virtua Tennis. Oh, yeah. Virtua Tennis. I love that one. Uh, <laughs> that one's so good. I didn't know shit about tennis, but that was such a fun game. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> and then with the N64, um, you know, they got the Golden Eye, Perfect Dark. Uh, what else? What else? I, I don't know. All the, all the good ones. All the Legend of Zelda with like his his nearly completed saves so i never really played much zelda but i would just love to go on majora's mask and you know have all the stuff and just mess around um 
so yeah, I was I was basically uh, a whole generation behind the, whatever <laughs> the current thing was. Thought my because <clears throat> so I had those for a long time, and then uh, I didn't get an Xbox until Christmas two thousand five. Mm-hmm. So the three sixty was already out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, so I had that, and then. My uncle eventually gave me his hand-me-down PS2 when he was done with it, and after have him getting the PS3. So yeah, I've, I've been a generation behind for a long time, and then I got a PS3 myself, like in 2013. So <laughs> P- PS4 was right around the corner. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, dude, I, I was into I was mostly into xbox stuff i would say that's the, the bulk of my mm-hmm. of my yeah. gamer history uh, <laughs> halo was huge yeah um, yeah of course yeah all the, all the shooters yeah i mean as i said last week i mean halo or xbox was the shooter console um mm-hmm. obviously halo being the defining one but you know i think of also like the doom 3 port on xbox yep. was great too yep i had that one i had the the, the steel uh, steel case Ooh, that's good i like yeah, it came, that came with all the old games too oh man uh, i wish i had that one uh doom's great i mean <laughs> there's yeah Do- doom is just an eternal franchise like i don't think any entry in doom is bad like the newer yeah, the, said- new, the newer ones are great the yeah, older loved ones them. are newer ones are cl- the older ones are classics um i think doom 3 is the only one that ever got kind of mixed reception if you if you if you want to call it that did it really yeah like well I, I know the one complaint is that people said it like and i don't mean like tonally but like visually it looked very dark like uh yeah. it was much more kind of I guess you could say realistic, but I think it was it was more horror focused than anything. But yep. so a lot of people were like, "Eh, like it's not like classic Doom, but it's still Doom." Like I don't. Yeah, know I mean, people... it was. I thought it was. Excuse me. I thought it was really scary. Uh, yeah. Playing it for the first time. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of people recently have come back around to it, especially since the newer dooms you know 2016 and eternal have come out which have been which are basically like adrenaline shot roller coaster rides of Mm -hmm. excitement i think people nowadays can appreciate this more slower dark oppressive atmosphere of three right um yeah i mean yes i you know the xbox i the, the og xbox i can really appreciate the sort of unique thing i mean as I said before, like I can appreciate it for being like a very guy thing, like a very like dude, bro, college guy, you know, jock sort of console. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, one of my brothers, you know, he, he got it right when it came out in college, when halo, you know, got halo and he was hooked on it ever since. Like, right. And, I can appreciate its blunt design. It's all black, giant, <laughs> this, you know, this hunk of like this heavy, it's very, it's a pretty heavy console. It, oh yeah. It's about 20 pounds. Yeah. it It's just this slab of plastic and the, you know, 
electronics and it's just got a green X on the top. Like I can appreciate like it, it very much gives off like old PC culture, PC yes. gaming aesthetics to me. And I, I think, uh, I think I wish kind of Xbox stayed with that. I can understand why they did the thing they did with the 360 trying to appeal to Japan and trying to be yeah. more clean and make elegant. It, make it look like a piece of furniture. Yeah, and and that didn't work because Japan does not like anything that is not made by them. So uh, it was a, <laughs> it was a failed attempt, you know. They tried to make an Xbox controller for small Japanese men hands and that didn't work. Um Do you do you prefer the Duke? Honestly, I think I do. I mean, really? it's like I mean, I appreciate. Well, for one, I appreciate it not being just a you know big honking controller. Like that's mm -hmm. insane on one hand to make that. Like, yeah, no other controller is like the Duke. You have to hold one to understand it. Um, yeah, it, it's it, they're not uncomfortable, but I'm not a better player with that one. Yeah, I mean, I have large hands so like uh i mean let's see i have the three the 360 controller like that feels perfect to me like that's mm -hmm. a great fit the duke definitely feels like i'm going like that on it a little bit <laughs> yeah. and then the weird like black and white buttons at the very bottom mm -hmm. like you know i can appreciate them trying something or like you know like uh the analog sticks having like the weird like cutouts on the top yeah but, yeah i remember that like and i guess you could say an, an effort was made uh they were trying they were trying something different and i can appreciate that it was like a very american sensibility about it mm -hmm. but there are some aspects i mean the the s I think definitely refined it and then the 360 perfected it. Um I mean and more you know or less you know these... what's funny? I, I was I was at a friend's house um because uh, this is one of the <clears throat> one of the, 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 the most fun times to like play shooters now is like you know split screen mm -hmm. in my opinion at least. And yeah. so anytime I go to my friend's house to play his old Xbox, uh, he has like, I don't know if it's a Mad Cats or whatever, but there is a knockoff brand that makes Duke's Duke size controllers. Yeah. So people still like them. Yeah. They, yeah, I think it was the yeah, Mad Cats or Hyperkin made their own version of the Duke that was licensed by Xbox, huh. uh, which was, was like, <laughs> you know, for the set amount of people in the world that preferred the Duke, you know, <laughs> hey, this thing's for you. Right. Um, I mean, I I can appreciate the sort of nostalgia for it because no no controller would ever try to do that design ever again. I mean, not even the, the PS5 controller, for example. Like, that's pretty big. Like, yeah, it's, it's big and long, right? Big, Yeah, big and long. Uh uh, but like you know, the Duke, I think still dwarf. Like it makes it look tiny. Um, yeah, I, it's so weird to like. Uh, let's see, do I have it with me? Uh, like the PS2 controller. Like 
it's weird how like for the longest time I was like, yeah, this is perfect. Like, I don't think anything could get better than, then I go back to it. I'm like, Oh, this is tiny. Mm. Like, look, like this is how my hand holds this thing. It's like, yep, yep. that is cramped. And then the, the, the PS three's controller is even worse. <laughs> like that one's bad. Uh, I was trying to play, I was playing through portal two recently, you know, for last week. And mm-hmm. Oh man, they were <laughs> console shooters were still trying to figure things out back in the day uh, with like dead zones on the analog stick. Like, okay, when do right. we start like accelerating? The PS3 controller was just bad. Like about that. Like, yeah, I could never play a shooter on PS3. I always sucked at them. You know, I I was much more tolerant when I was younger. I was like, yeah, this is fine. Like, I'm used to this. And then like ten. 50, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> I, was I insane? Was I'm willing to put up with bad, bad things as a kid? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, like, I, 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 I try to like, uh, I, I think it's probably a, a case of game by game because I think Modern Warfare 2 still feels good in a controller. Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, console shooters had to like take you know take their lickings, as it were, trying to make it all perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting because you know, Killer Seven is a uh, <laughs> interesting uh, when it gets first person mode. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think I'm, I I love your sort of like generation behind. So in about ten years, you'll finally get yourself a <laughs> PS Five. I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I can't wait for your review of the system when you get that when the, the PS6 comes out and it's like, yeah, we're in 8K gaming zane. You're in 4K. What are you doing? Yeah, uh, got to wait for someone to hand it down to me. <laughs> so, we'll call your uncle down. And be like, hey, mm-hmm. do you have a spare? Uh, was it we're on ninth gen now? I think ninth generation console. Do you have a spare mm-hmm. you can give me? Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, it's always fun for me hearing people's stories with games, you know, because everyone's different. Everyone has like their own, yeah, uh, yeah. experiences with it. And I, I love yeah. your uh, generation behind. So, did you? I guess, do you now own a PS4 since it's like a decade since it came? I, out? That was when I caught up. I did buy the PS4 like early. No, no, I didn't buy it. It was a birthday present, 2014. Ah, okay, gotcha. and. Uh, yeah, I, the whole reason I even got the PS3 was because uh, I was getting really into playing the show, and I bought every every show game that came out from 2013 to like 2018. Yeah, yeah, I was really into that one for a while. Yeah, the baseball game. Yeah, it's a- but now they make it for Xbox, isn't that crazy? Yeah, now, now it's for everyone. Uh, but yeah, I didn't. I'm glad you shared your history. And I think now we can go into the first part of this. I guess, I guess you could say big discussion point of tonight, which is a, uh, our main man of tonight, Suda 51, Gucci <laughs> Suda, you know, the eclectic man himself. Uh, you know, he's, he's an interesting man. I will say that uh, he has a very, yeah, I, we were saying this beforehand. He very much, sits within the Kojima camp of video game developers of he 
his he wears his inspirations on his sleeve. He has a very distinct style. He has a very distinct take on things. And he doesn't do things how most game developers do it. I mean, one of his earliest works uh, was a, he was the scenario writer for a pro wrestling game that came on the Super Nintendo. And he was like somewhere in the ballpark of like probably 30. And he wrote the story, you know, of a pro, you know, you think of a pro wrestling game. It's like, oh, hey, you're going to win the championship and all that. But in Suda's case, he ends the game with your character not being fulfilled in life anymore. And he kills himself <laughs> like <laughs> and that that was extremely controversial at the time. You know, at that time, these sort of more dark tones and games, these more thought provoking stories had been sort of relegated to JRPGs and all that sort of genre. So to have more or less a sort of very mainstream game have that ending is pretty shocking. And then, you know, yeah, as he's, for Nintendo, yeah. yeah, for Nintendo game, you know, uh, you know, I think that immediately should have been the clue. It's like, this guy's a little different. He's interesting. <laughs> and, you know, in, in it's interesting, I think, to look at his career because he really has done games that are out of left. They're both like enough of a mainstream latching. You know, you get hooked on to his sort of thing. But then like he has his sort of unique qualities to himself, whether it be, you know, Killer 7 like tonight or No More Heroes or Lollipop Chainsaw or Shadow of the Damned or... Uh, killer is dead like mm -hmm. he does things differently so i don't i mean what do you think about suda zane what what stands out to you about this man um uh he like you said he's very referential um calls back to not not even just other games he's just music um what else? Uh, it does movies too. Uh, hmm. Yeah, he's just a wacko. Um, <laughs> he puts he puts uh, he puts all kinds of different influences into his games, and not not everyone not everyone reaches that far. No, I mean, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, he wears his influence on his sleeves, but he also, if there's something he likes he will just put it in there. Like I think of um, shadow of the damned. He has the boner gun, like mm -hmm. the yeah. gun that just gets like, Oh, it's just getting bigger and bigger. It's like, sh <laughs> you know, swing or whatever. It's like, like <laughs> or, you know, having lollipop chainsaw being about a game, a game about a high school cheerleader where her boyfriend's decapitated head sits on her, on her, uh, on her waist as she, murder zombies in her sort of like zombie killing family and it's mm. also partially written by james gunn of all people it's like <laughs> uh or you know the uh the, the gigolo mode and <laughs> killer is dead <laughs> you have that, to that... you have to seduce the women by like staring at them <laughs> or something <laughs> i don't remember i haven't played in forever or you know no more heroes which is arguably his most mainstream success you know playing as an otaku who wants to be the number one assassin and like heck even the littlest details of that series where in order to like save your progress you have to go to the oh, bathroom. Yeah, you go to the bathroom yeah like <laughs> it's he's so 
you know, it's easy to like latch on or label a game developer as different, like for daring to just not do something that's the mainstream big name seller. Um, but for him, like he, you know, his name has become a brand as it were mm -hmm. like whenever he's attached to something even if he's like more like just kind of like a creative director like they will slap this is a suit of 51 game onto mm -hmm. it and that's sort of like the expected experience that you'll get out of his sort of universe of games as it were and i find that I find him as a creator fascinating because especially nowadays, you know, as the industry is kind of like homogenized and kind of become a more streamlined thing, like mm -hmm. having us having Suda still make games that are distinctly from his mind, you know, I think is a, a godsend in many sense, even, even game, you know, and he's been at the hand of some unfortunate, like publisher meddling uh shadow of the dam being like i would say his biggest example of that where ea the publisher for that game was just like not understanding anything that he was really trying to put out there like <clears throat> i think they there i think there was an interview he said it's like they told me about the elevator pitch if you can't summarize your game in an elevator ride then you know it's not worth putting out right. there and he couldn't do that because all of his games are <laughs> in many cases you cannot explain his games on no. like in under a minute you have to peel them apart i mean we'll get to it with killer seven but you know no more heroes is an action game where you play as a loser otaku who uh is into his anime characters and he wants to be the number one assassin of the world. And in order to make do in the, to apply to fight the assassins, he has to do odd jobs around the world that involve like mowing the lawn or unclogging <laughs> a toilet. And right. then he has to go through this like sort of dungeon in order to fight the boss. And then it kind of, you know, it keeps looping on itself. You know, I'm sure for him as a creator, you can't explain that to a publisher no. be like do you get it it's like what <laughs> you know mowing the lawn assassins uh otakus like what like no no it's you know have he is he he's genuinely one of my favorite developers because he's able to continue doing this i mean Heck, he's even done a game where he's more or less commented on the fact of how hard it is to make games for these big ass publishers. Uh, Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes is literally like a meta commentary on how burnt out he felt making games and not having, like, kind of having his visions being tampered with uh, in a very somber and melancholic way. I mean, he he really is himself i mean the fact that he names himself suda 51 should be an immediate clue on that so, you know mm -hmm. no game developer names themselves like that at all you know i think yeah i mean 
there's so there's there's so much to unpack with him because he is an eclectic man who who is just like I will appear in this Devolver Digital press conference where I am like playing a cybernetic version of myself <laughs> and he's just making a cameo for like 5 minutes. Why? Because one he loves Devolver Digital, like he's going to always be like that. But two, like he he's very much I would say a developer who loves games. Like the yeah. <laughs> Which is a novel concept. Like you think, like making games, it's like, oh, cool. Of course, they love making games. Like that's the profession they do. But like with Suda, he loves games. Like mm -hmm. I'm sure you felt that too, playing his stuff, or like just through just through Killer Seven, you understand that he sees things differently. He sees the medium as a, as an avenue to tell some stories that are different, themes that yeah. are unique. You know he has a very outside the box creative way of thinking about things. And yeah, Definitely. I mean, I, like, there's so there's, and what's even more wild is that America hasn't really even gotten to see all of his catalog technically. Uh, yeah. Um, they only recently, like in the past few years made it to where you can get the older stuff. Uh, I got uh, I bought my brother Silvercase files. One of his uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier that was like that was a PC game, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I believe it was. But yeah, they ported it to PS4, which you yeah, know, which is great because you know the Silvercase is this. You know, <laughs> if you Google the Silvercase and you see the box art of it, and it's like this weird like cyberpunk glitchy full of like people's faces and all that stuff it's like what the hell is this and it's like a visual novel mm -hmm. uh and yeah i mean yeah you couldn't you couldn't get that up until a few years yeah. ago and that's like a game from the 90s yeah and 99 and and that was in the early part of you know when he started his company grasshopper manufacturer um you know, there's like the Twilight Syndrome games. There's Flower, Sun, and Rain. Uh, Michigan. Well, I don't think he was a part of it, but there was like a game, I think, called Michigan Report from Hell that he was attached to. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, reading about that one. Like, there's still some games that we have not been given the chance to see from. I mean, Twilight Syndrome is such a interesting sort of horror adventure game that was made by uh human entertainment. Um who I think I think it was human entertainment that uh they helped make like the clock tower games. So like <laughs> if you know like clock tower that's kind of in the vein of of Twilight Syndrome. Uh but yeah like America has only been privy to things Killer Seven and onward for the most part, yeah. And which is like another thing about him. It's like, yeah, hey, Suda Fifty One, you're getting to make your first American game. What are you going to do? I'm going to make Killer Seven with bite with Capcom. It's like, okay, like that's that's pretty like an amazing turn of events. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to get too far ahead into it because there's literally so much to talk about with killer seven um yeah <laughs> but <clears throat> like i i you know i respect the man for just like having 
an idea. Like he just thinks of something or a line in his store in his like scripts because he writes pretty much every most games that he's when he's a director he's usually a writer for his games Mm -hmm. and you know that (laughs) whenever he thinks of something he will put it in there and it's just like to probably like the average consumer it's like well why is he referencing star wars uh well because suda thinks star wars is cool like Mm -hmm. uh why is why is killer seven why, you know why are they called the smiths well suda 51 likes the smiths the band yep. uh why uh i'm trying to think of like other sort of just like obscure like uh travis strikes again why is why are they in this like ps1 cgi graphics cutscene all of a sudden well because suda loves that era of video game like travis strikes again for example has like a sequence dedicated to like early PC text adventure games. Like why? Because he reveres that part of history. Why? Yeah, and, because you know, because, they're, because he, they're cool. Yeah. And he wants them in it too. Like he, he's like, Oh, I'm making this smaller scale indie game. Well, Hey, now I have carte blanche to do whatever I want again. Um, or, you know, even in the case of a triple a, you know, triple a game, like tra- uh, no more heroes three, uh, he has a boss fight. Well, he sets up a boss character that gets immediately killed off by a character from a previous game, and then you have a boss fight with said character. Uh, there's <laughs> oh, also is that is that uh, the Dan Smith thing that you were talking uh, about? Uh, the, no, that's not it. Dan just makes that cameo in in Travis Strikes Again to sort of oh, set okay. up. He sets up the story of that, but. In in, tra- in No More Heroes three because it does like the whole setup of like the ten uh, assassins, galactic mm-hmm. assassins, and there's a boss character who you like are set up to fight, and then he just gets killed by this like girl who you were you knew from the I think the second game, and she awesome. just ki- she just kills this character, and now you have a fight with her, and they have a rap battle with each other, and. <laughs> Uh, Suda does not know how to write rap music and it shows, but like he's like, damn, if I'm gonna write my like greatest, like, you know, yeah. rap battle, like cutscene. And it, it's like, again, it's like you have to ask, like, well, why did he do this? Well, because he can't, because oh. it it's either his way or the high, you know, his my way or the highway in his case. And unfortunately in an industry where it's like you have to balance the sort of how do we get the most sales and you know still have a creative inspiration you know suda you know suda had to endure that for a part of his career and i think i suda as a creative i revere like it, you know I like to think, I like to imagine if I made a game one day, I'd be like, I want to do it like him. I want to like, if my game is like an action game, I want to have a set piece like moment where like in Killer7, the handsome men fight. It's just like, I'm going to have this like random fight sequence that I really have no choice in the matter of how it (laughs) turns out. You can't really control anything in that. You just, uh, you just kind of pull the trigger a lot (laughs) and it's already predetermined what's going to happen, (laughs) which is great. We'll get to that. But, uh, or I'll think of uh, like, again, no, I I keep going, you know, no more heroes, but it's easy enough because no more heroes is his biggest success. 
like No More Heroes 3, there's a boss character where it's a complete like parody of Final Fantasy where Travis is like, why are we waiting in place? Why is, why is the dialogue so slow? <laughs> the turn pace thing? <laughs> yeah, the turn based segment where it's just like, this is so, Travis is just like to this boss character, this is so fucking boring. Why am I waiting here? Why is why is it taking so long? Why are you talking all the time? Like, it's, <laughs> I think even Travis is like, this is so fucking gay. Like, what am I doing? Like, that's awesome. I, you know, if I were to make a game, I would want to do it like Suda, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And it's a shame that someone like him has had to sort of bend, maybe not bend, or yeah, I guess bend the knee to publishers like Kojima, you know, because they're, in a way kind of similar because they're both referential as can be. They both include things for the hell of it. They also have a very thought out vision for their products. And, you know, Kojima sadly got to experience the same thing with a little different, you know, cause Konami was a little different than Suda who was just at the, you know, at the control of other publishers but still, right. it's sad to see like these creative people be subjected to like uh, the sort of like highlighter, the non-artists, yeah, the corporate heads of the yeah. industry. Which you know, like if you're doing anything entertainment-wise, of course you're going to have that. But like, sure, it seems like games when there's a creative visionary at the helm unless you're like i guess you could say unless you're like shigeru miyamoto where you're now part of that create that corporate structure of the company you kind of were able to get away with it back in the day um it's sad to see that like not many developers get that chance to do something that's out there i mean you don't see a whole lot of game directors being labeled for their sort of like own unique style. You know, Suda's like one, Kojima's like one. Um, you obviously have Miyamoto in the early days. You have, um, I wish I could remember more off the top of my head at the moment. I mean, Shinji Mikami, uh, Hideki Kamiya, um, Yoko Taro, like, they come like once in a blue moon, it seems. And, yeah. you know, I, I was thinking about this today because today was the sixth anniversary of Nier Automata. Um, you know, Yoko Taro was another out there wild game director who was kind of at the, at the whim of being not given enough money and also not having a team that could fulfill his vision. And so most of his games got subjugated to being considered oh yeah the story's really great but you have to put up with some like average gameplay at best to get to the good stuff or see his work be handed off to another developer um which happened to him with dragon guard 2 after the first game um and it's only when like one person gives him the chance does he get to really showcase himself mm-hmm. uh in Automata's that example when the larger populace like was introduced to this man who wears a moon head as a mask and he's like I like girls and then everyone's just like yeah yeah let's this guy's like the best <laughs> such a bold statement which hey you know 
it's a bold that was a bold statement in 2017 to be like i just like girls and i like i like uh my characters to have like giant high heels with big asses and big you know big tits and like you know that was a bold statement six years ago to make and somehow that man has had his greatest success yet and now he's making a mobile game where he's turning sega characters into girls uh <laughs> which is wild to think about but you know the point being is you know game developers like it's special when a director has a vision you know yep i think of hi-fi rush recently they came out last month i think and that director had a vision and he was given that chance finally to to have like a music rhythm action game that has music from Nine Inch Nails, Number Girl, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the other music in the game, but like, you know, having a very distinct vision for his game. And he was f- given that chance by Shinji Mikami uh, and Bethesda. And you see that, you see the results. Like everyone loves it. Everyone adores it. And you, you like ask yourself like, well, why don't you do this more? Like, let let these people have the the chance to do something that's fun or interesting or out of the box because there's going to be people latching on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like I I've, I've been a fan of his, and I've I haven't really been much of a gamer for the past ten years or so. But I've always paid attention when I hear about the Suda Fifty One game coming out. Yeah, I mean even though he's not like a massive massive mainstream guy i feel if i feel like when he announces something people pay attention like yep. uh yeah. it helps with like no more heroes you know nintendo was like hey this guy that he's niche but he has a big fan base like he's making a game for the switch you know that was the you know when the switch was coming out uh Oh God, six years ago now. Um, like on one of their big sort of press conferences that they, they had to sort of talk about the Switch, they had Suda51 on stage to say, yeah, I'm making a game for the Nintendo Switch. Like that was a big moment for Nintendo. Be like, hey, this guy you love, may not know him now, but you probably know him later. He's giving, you know, we're giving him a shot. And people are just like, oh yeah, like, you know, they're, they're, waiting at the edge of their seats for that and Mm -hmm. then you know nintendo gives them another shot with no more heroes 3 and now no more heroes 3 i think i think is like one of his best-selling games might be his best-selling game yet wow Um, and that just came out like not too long ago right i think so i mean i could be wrong on that but uh i think it i think it sold i mean the fact that it got ported to other systems i think was a good sign yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's mu- uh, much else to say about Suda because I feel like a lot, a lot about Suda can be said about ki- in Killer Seven, and I don't want to get ahead of myself in that mm. aspect. But I mean, is there any other closing statements you have in regards to Suda or any sort of individual, unique, creative forces in games? Like, I mean. I'm open to a final word from Zane on that one. <laughs> no, no, I think we I think we covered it. Yeah, I mean, 
it's I think just Suda just give Suda a chance, and I think with our talk about Killer Seven, I think we'll give a good a good case for him, a good silver case, if you will. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. If you if you if you want to if you want to learn about it, just like pick a, a, a genre of of uh, of game, and then he's kind of got at least partly that in you know in, in one of his games. You know, this is Killer Seven's a rail shooter. He's got. Um, Killer is dead. It's uh, uh, hack and slash with with other other elements in it too. Um, uh, now I haven't played Shadows of the Damned forever. That's it's kind of like Resident Evil, like the gameplay, right? More like Resident I mean, Evil Four. Basically, I mean, it's like a third person shooter. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a like action adventure sort of game. Shinji Mikami's attached to it um yeah i mean it it clearly i think was probably i think it's well i think it's documented that that get changed around a lot Mm -hmm. uh because the ea was just like well we have to appeal to a larger broader audience space and your vision is not selling is not going to sell a lot for us you know in your quote-unquote the big name you know you're you you got a cult fan base that will buy you regardless So it's like, well, your game's still kind of niche. We need you to sell like a million copies at least, sort of thing. Right. Um, and so like Shadow of the Dam is Shadows of the Damned is like kind of an unfortunate example of him being forced to sort of let his vision be uh reined in a bit. You know, I think Killer is Dead, uh, I think was a he got to do a little bit more freedom in terms of being able to do what he wanted to. Cause I think the publishers for that game weren't like EA size. Um, but even then, I don't think he, I feel like, you know, that period post no more heroes. And then before like Travis strikes again, he was being forced to do things like you're the wacky crazy guy with like dick jokes and you know raunchy sex like you know you know play that up more play that up more or your mm. your you know tone down your unique gameplay mechanics because we need like the normie average audience to get along with it um, uh, yeah yeah he, it's sad too but like i'm really glad that seemingly he's now in a position where he can do what he thinks is best for him, but also the best for his company, you know, cause he's the founder and like, I think, I think like major figurehead of a grasshopper. I think, uh, I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. He's the CEO. So like, I think he's in a position now where it's like, Oh, Hey, like he can make games how he wants you know the way he wants and that's all that's all i want with like a person like him it's like give him the shot to do what he mm-hmm. wants because i'm sure he's going to deliver something unique to you and i think that's my message to the listener it's like give, give suda a chance he he may not be for everyone which is okay like shocker things don't have to be for everyone <laughs> but yep giving him a shot i think could be one of the best experiences that you can allow yourself to have because there really isn't anyone like him much like there isn't anyone like kojima there isn't anyone like hideki kamiya there isn't anyone like yoko taro they're all 
achieving something that is different from each other. And I think allowing these eccentric men, these, you know, visionary men to have a platform, you know, I guess a platform, you know, a position to create what they want is great. I mean, heck, we're seeing the Suda, Kojima, and Hideki Kamiya, they all are basically like the figureheads of their own companies now. So, you know, Suda with Grasshopper, Kojima with Kojima Productions, uh, Hideki Kamiya at Platinum Games. Uh, I don't think Yoko Taro's got his own company as far as I know, but uh, Square Enix and Sega are just like, your name sells now. Like, do what you want. <laughs> like, I saw that, I saw the news thing about him recently. He's like, yeah, his next game is a mobile game that turns classic Sega characters into like girls. And that's the loop. <laughs> it's like, I guess, you know, when you make, when you sell like 10 million copies, I think is what Nier Automata has sold. Like, I guess you get the blank check. It's like, yeah. do, do what you want, man. You're, you're we, you know, you're now mainstream, I guess, but you're still weird enough to not be see, not be mainstream. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 saying that uh, that no more heroes three is is doing so well, but gives me hope for for whatever comes next for Suda. He recently said. He recently said that he, um was in the process of making a new game but i can't remember what it was off the top of my head it, it wasn't like it wasn't going to be a no more heroes game i think it was a much smaller scope game um but you know again it's like oh suda 51's in the news i better I better see what he's up to sort of thing um right. but yeah i guess you know to roll, you know, round, uh, close the Suda talk. Uh, I think it's just give the man a chance. It might be one of your best uh, experiences yet, and I think that will that will lead us into the game of tonight, which is Killer Seven.
but yeah, uh, so yeah, Killer7, uh, where, where do we begin with this one? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Killer7, uh, is a GameCube PS2 game, and also PC, but it first came out on the GameCube and PS2 on July 7th, 2005. Um, it was uh, Suda51's first game that got a worldwide release. Uh, you know, he'd been making games for Japan only beforehand, and this is uh, this was the last, I believe, the last game of the infamous Capcom 5. Um the uh the Capcom five, the uh the five games coming exclusively to GameCube that did not happen. Um <laughs> every game except Piano 3 got ported to PS2. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's uh, right. that, that that failed promise to Nintendo by Capcom. Oh boy, you know, Piano 3, uh Resident Evil 4, Beautiful, Beautiful Joe, Joe, Killer 7, and then the the fifth one was a canceled game. I yeah. forget its name. It's like something Phoenix, I think. Uh, I think it was supposed to be like a Panzer Dragoon esque game. Uh, but yeah, mm. that one never saw the light of day. I think it only showed itself once with a trailer, and that was it. Um, but yeah, Killer Seven is a hard game to put into one sentence because it is a on rails action adventure puzzle game that deals with many different layers of stories going on it's both it both is a very conclusive story it's a very open-ended story it's very ambiguous it's clear like there it's so many things all at once and in many, I would say, you know, I think you and I agree on this, and a lot of people, even Suda has said this, that Killer7 is his best game. Uh, yeah. it's, the, uh, it's, they're really, it's, really is, there is no game like Killer7. You know, when I say it's on rails, like, you press one button to move forward, and, you know, on the mm-hmm. GameCube is just the A button. To move forward, you can't go anywhere. Uh, it's a first-person shooter, uh, where you know when you aim, you go into first-person mode. There's like Resident Evil-esque puzzles to progress through a level. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is very difficult to explain Killer Seven because it's like, well, where do we even begin, sort of thing. But I guess you know, to get us off on here is, uh, what is your experience with Killer Seven, Zane? Uh, so like I said, I got a PS2 very late, but I was watching G4 and, uh, do you remember that show judgment day? Yes. So I think they reviewed it on judgment day, um, like positively and just, you know, seeing the trailer made it look really cool. I like the shell, the cell shaded look of it. Um, and so I ended up getting it eventually in like 2008 for like 20 bucks for the ps2 and uh yeah man bought it uh, started playing it loved it immediately i just thought it was uh dark and just cool with all the assassin angle um mm-hmm. the split personalities thing the political intrigue the, the the whole mystery of it everything about it was just so cool 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it just, you know, like we were talking about earlier, he puts, he weaves so many different influences into, into this game. Yeah. Not just get, not just gameplay wise, but, but with, with the story. Um, and yeah, it just, it's, it's not all of his games I would say are, but no, this yeah. one is definitely a work of art. Yeah. Like, and which is something it, yeah I, i'm glad you made brought up that brought that point up because that was actually a goal of suda for this game is to make a game considered a work of art you know mm-hmm. so i mean killer 7 i guess to set up the story is that you play as a group of assassins called the Killer Seven, and the, it is led by an elderly man named Harmon Smith, uh, who is who basically has seven different personalities that he can that he oversees and controls, basically, and they're all different sort of I guess you could say like different assassin like archetypes. You know, you have like the cool gunslinger wisecracking kind of asshole dan smith or you have Mm -hmm. the femme fatale kaide smith uh you have the mute uh kevin which is a just they have a character named kevin smith because again (laughs) suda like he's like i like (laughs) kevin smith movies i guess yeah he's also he's also gay (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's so tr- that's true uh yeah, representation matters gay british mute albino <laughs> who does acrobatics with knives yeah. uh yeah then you have like coyote smith who's like the uh, puerto rican who just constantly says you're fucked you're fucked yep. Yep. uh then you have <laughs> you have like the cool black guy and garcian you have uh, the little gremlin Asian kid in in Khan, and then you have the luchador Mask Mask De Smith, which is yeah. because Suda likes lucha likes pro wrestling, uh, yep. which apparently he consulted a pro wrestler uh, for, <laughs> which is, is like okay, like you didn't have to I, do that, but yeah, I, I admire also, the effort. Yeah, I I love that he um, for for Mask. I don't know about you, but he's he was the like him and him and Khan I barely used unless I just had to. <laughs> but it's it's funny because I, I, I think a lot of people do that because Mask he has two uh, grenade launchers as yeah. his weapon, and it's not using him is not conducive to accumulating um, thick blood. blood, which is what you use to level up your characters. Yeah, so. I'm assuming a lot of people didn't use him, but it's it's just funny because he goes through so many like up like transformations <laughs> throughout the game. Yeah, that, <laughs> that for me personally, we're just only looks like he gets more powerful with each one. Yeah, but I found myself not using him at all. But I just thought that was funny because he just loves luchadors and and, and their aesthetic so much. It's- I think, he goes through some ridiculous like changes. Yeah, like I, like superhuman like yeah. Alien... Like this, he goes to like being a uh. What I'm blanking on the proper uh terminology for that, but it's like the Carmen Ryder Power Rangers like look that he gets, where he gets like mm-hmm. the the luchador look that's like 
where he like loses the whole like suit attire and he becomes more luchador and then by like the final one he just looks like a robot alien type thing yeah. <laughs> it, i feel like you know ma- i yeah i didn't i used mask when i was just like okay fuck this i need i don't care like just you know blow yeah, everything apart after, sort of. after the blood machine breaks in every level mm-hmm. yeah which yeah, yeah i would say the ones i use the most obviously dan like because i would say dan's the coolest dan's the coolest because for one he has the best lines uh kaide's kaide's great for the long distance because she has the the uh magnum with the scope on it um Mm -hmm. coyote coyote's great just for lock picking um i i use kevin more than anybody else because you don't have to reload just yeah, that's, yeah. Knives. Kevin. Kevin's good in like some boss hit fights. I found in my recent playthrough that Kevin was great against Omeda, um, just because like all the yeah. back flicking, back, back flipping through the ambulances. I was like, yeah. okay, I can get away from him because he's you know, un- you know uh, yeah, he's just great for that situation. But like, I yeah, so you ha- you you're the old man Harmon who also by the way you can can control too with the like barrett 50 cal like sniper rifle in the wheelchair which is like an amazing just image of it itself Mm -hmm. um but you fight this terrorist organization called the heaven smiles which are these like zombie like monstrosities that have like a joker laugh uh whenever you enter a room and you have to scan them and then hit their weak points to get as you know you said zane the thick blood which gets you more blood uh, if you don't, if you kill them without hitting the weak point, you get the white blood, which doesn't yield as much rewards. Mm-hmm. But you basically have to traverse these sort of labyrinth mazes to get sort of to the end of the game to fight the certain, you know, the boss character of that game. And you know, there's some levels have multiple bosses and all that. And what I love about this, and I don't know if when you first played this years ago, like it is an incredibly sinister game, like on yeah. a fir- especially on a first playthrough, like the game does not tell you much, if anything about how to get through it or navigate these levels. Like I would not be shocked if somebody had played the, the opening level, you know, uh, mission zero angel. I would not be shocked if a lot of people just quit the game because they didn't know what to do. Uh, yep. Cause uh the game only really tells you how to control, which is just, you know, here's the move button, here's how to turn around, here's how to aim and shoot, and that's it. Yep. And, and and navigate on the branching paths on the on-rails segment. Like, that's the only thing the game tells you. And Which you know, I love. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Like, um, I love being, like, I, I love the sort of cerebral aspect of Killer7 where you have to figure things out. I mean, granted, you can consult a guide. I'm not against guide consulting. Like there's some times when you need it. Yeah, um, there's also there's also the, um, a character that shows up in the game, uh, Yoon, who um, if you're stuck, you can you can find him, and then he's holding this little mask in his hand, mm-hmm. and if you shoot the mask, he he'll tell you like he'll give you hints about what to do, but it costs all the blood that you have currently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, you know, even doing that sometimes, the hints are sometimes so cryptic that I'm even more lost than I was before. Oh yeah, and even the sort of 
like the guide characters, which are uh, Iwa, uh, Iwazaru Wazaru, yeah. and Travis, uh, who you think on the surface, like, oh yeah, these these guys are my like guide characters. They're my Navi. They're trying to you know point me in the right direction. They don't. They nope. they'll go into like weird diatribes or tangents or monologues about more or less what's <laughs> going on. Yeah. Or they'll just say something random, like you know. We're in a uh, like, tight spot. Yeah, we're master. We're in a tight spot, master. Mm-hmm. I'm here. My name is Iw- like Iwazaru's like full name, which I forget, which is like really long. And, and, and by the way, in Iwazaru is this like guy in a gimp mask, like a gimp costume, like hanging from the ceiling. Like that visual <laughs> alone is just like wild to be like. Yeah, and. Yep. You know, like, and a lot of the people that you interact with speak in it, in this distorted. Is it Japanese that they're speaking? Oh, I was going to bring that up. So, in the Japanese version, it's English. Like they didn't do a oh. Japanese dub, so that's just text to speech English. Uh, okay. And then, and in the Japanese version, on you know, in those like in the margins where nothing's going on, they have the 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 subtitles in yeah. Japanese, but. So they in the American version, they just removed the, they just kind of garbled the speech up, and then you occasionally hear like an English word, but that's yeah. it. Like, yeah, it's it's very Black Lodge. <laughs> um, it's so Black Lodge. I think, um, I think, uh, I think it's Travis. His voice speech is literally the Mac text to speech. Oh really? Like, <laughs> I believe so. Like they're very similar. I would not be shocked if they're the same thing. Oh, um, man. And yeah. a lot of these characters are ghosts too. <laughs> like they're yeah. people that that uh, that the Killer Seven have killed, or it'll be like the boss from the previous mission who comes mm-hmm. to consult with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very very strange. Yeah, the, the psych the psych the psychic remnants as they're. Mm-hmm. I think that's the proper yeah. term for them. I think I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and. They again, like they're not exactly telling you what you know. They're like any other game. There would be like a hint system, like. But no, Killer Seven's just like these characters are here to sort of fill, try to piece the puzzle together of what's happening. And there's a lot happening in Killer Seven. There's political espionage and you know power dynamics at play. There's literal cosmic battles between Harmon and Kun Lan at play. There's the like kind of amnesiac in the moment story that happens with Garcian specifically. And then there's just kind of like the gameplay story of like trying to figure out how do I get to the point A to point B <laughs> aspect of it. But you know, yep, lots of spinning plates <laughs> and, and spinning fire hydrants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. But they're like the, you know, I, I, you know, Killer Seven. You know, like I know that the like political as the political storyline is a very arguably it's like the main like the main pillar of the game, but it kind of like has this effect uh, that Evangelion has on me, where it's like yeah. there's a lot of these minutia political elements of like the Japanese Board of you know, Education and the U.S. presidents and you know, assassin groups being hired in the Seattle, you know, uh, the Seattle force and, you know, the immigration board, like all these like minutia government agencies that, you know, they're listing off and explaining, 
Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, like, like Evangelion killer seven is more or less trying to sort of elicit an emote. Like there's like this emotional core that is trying to drive the experience through. And I feel like, you know, particularly with like Garcian's, you know, you know, cause Garcian turns out to be like the central focus of the game yeah. uh, with his storyline particularly, but you know, you, you progress through this world, this very, very bleak, very dire, very uh, somber world that like full of death and destruction in many cases, very just point blank death is present and looming over the world of killer seven at all times yeah. like i feel like killer seven is like almost this sort of transient experience where you're just like exposed to all of this all at you know and you you don't you're not probably you're not meant to understand it at all ago because it's impossible there's no way no. to understand this game in the for in no, one playthrough. I, I i actually tried to like seek out some some you know further further reading on it and I came across this PDF file. Uh, <laughs> this is a long, have you read that? No, it was see what I did in preparation. I try to see like, is there, you know, killer seven plot summary, try mm-hmm. to like understand the bits and bobs. And there's this game facts page that lists like everything out. And it's like, it takes probably like five minutes to scroll to, from top to bottom. I'm just like, yeah. mm, my brain's gonna explode. <laughs> Man, I don't, I don't know if it's the same thing or not because it's been so long. But there was this PDF file that I had to download, and it, dude, it was like hundreds of pages, just, <laughs> just like some someone's theory about what this is all about. And I, it was, it was uh, impenetrable. I, I couldn't, I couldn't parse it at all. But I think that's in a way the point of it all, and I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's like a it's like a Lynch movie, you know. I I wouldn't I wouldn't particularly say this is like Lynchian, but it's it's the same thing. Like you said, it's it elicits an emotional response. Yeah, and and you're just supposed to feel it. Yeah, if anything, really, you know, I'll save the Garcian point for a little bit later. But it's like you know, Garcian's story, and with sort of the broader Killer Seven cast of characters that's like the only clear-cut part of the story i feel like and the sort of in between smaller stories like olmeda's story in his mission that's pretty clear-cut and explains things yeah or the handsome the handsome men or curtis blackburn like yeah yeah i feel like the 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 boss characters are more like their stories are very explainable and understandable but it's like interspersed and inter you know you know, cut in between those moments, you get these gravitas like monologues and uh, back and forth about the dynamics of the world and all of that. But I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying like Suda, that wasn't like Suda's goal. I'm sure Suda wanted to make some commentary about world politics and all that stuff, you know. And didn't sure. you, didn't you say that a lot of this game was cut? yeah oh that's that's another thing it's like suda said because he joined like this um i I don't know if it was ign but like he joined a group of guys uh to talk because it was talking about the pc port of this game which by the way Mm -hmm. everyone probably should play the pc port it's on steam i think it's like 15 20 it's very accessible 
you can play it on any if you have a computer made after like 2015 20 2012 you'll you could play this game <laughs> um but he was like on a on this video and he's like yeah like two-thirds of this game is cut like and it was not because capcom said you need to cut this it was like yeah uh Shin, you know shinji mikami you know who the creator of resident evil all that and he was the he he was a uh, co-writer on the story to an extent and he was the executive producer I think he more or less is just saying like hey cut this down so that your team can handle this amount of workload and for people to sort of get on board with it because I think a lot of the cut content involved like trying to even be even more broad like connecting to more of his like works in the past like the silver case like he was trying to be way more like i guess you could say lore or sort of world building as it were and so you're only it's not getting... like it, it's not like it was cut for content no there's some there's some dark shit in this game oh yeah no like it's funny enough actually the japanese version actually got censored a little bit not the american really? yeah the in the japanese version you know the scene where samantha has sex with Harmon. um yeah they cut the audio of her moaning in the Jap, uh, okay. which is which is weird because you think like the <laughs> Japanese would be okay with that, you know. Right. But they actually, and then there's some violence that they tone down. Well, not, like you know, the early on in the first mission where the girl has her back blown out. Um, in the Japanese version, it's a different angle, so you don't see all the details. Oh yes, yes, I know. Yeah, I know. So like, yeah. there's the one heaven smile that explodes in that level, and you see like a decapitated head. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I think the head is like removed in the Japanese version. So like the 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 international version is actually the true uh, version of the game, and there's there's some a lot of stuff in this game that for one would not fly in the sort of new cultural landscape that we sort of uh, uh, live in right now. Mm-hmm. But even, even for 2005, like this was some pushing the boundary stuff. And I'm surprised someone like Jack Thompson was not getting, you know, his panties right. in a twist over this. Cause there's like, there's rape in this, there's child, uh, like, uh, child killing child yeah, child, child abduction child you know, tra- you know human trafficking there's yeah extreme gore and violence you know it, it it runs the gambit for uh pushing the boundaries of acceptability but like it would you say that this is the like darkest game on gamecube oh i think so like yeah even even a game like Eternal Darkness, which is a straight up horror game, yeah. like ev- there's still like an air, a little bit of like there's like that sort of Nintendo like Vaseline on top of it a little bit. Like there's okay, sort of, yeah, like that, that that filtering of like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're in the purple cube, like you know. <laughs> there's a little bit of like camp to it, I guess, but or. Uh, even oh, like I have the I have the black GameCube. That's right. Um, yeah, see, <laughs> see, <laughs> you have the edgy version. Uh, you have the edgy lunchbox. Um, <laughs> now, and even like the Resident Evil remake, uh, of Resident Evil One remake that they did, that was a GameCube exclusive. Like that wasn't that 
you know, it's Resident Evil, so it's like it's not like Resident Evil is gonna get into like rape and all that stuff. Right. But you know, Killer Seven, I would argue, is probably the most, I guess, mature game the GameCube yeah. ever got. I mean, probably when you look at the PS2 version, it's like, oh, this fits right in. Um right, right. Uh I'm looking at the back of the box. It's rated M for M. M for blood and gore, intense violence, sexual themes, and strong language. I don't know if there's... I think there's more than themes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, let alone that Samantha more or less just, like, has sex with an unconscious Harmon. Like, Curtis is like, yeah, I straight up rape, raped your, your wife and... Yeah. Uh, cut, cut your son's head off. Yeah, or no, cut, it, your, cut your daughter's head off. Yeah, and... and he more or less just calls like his son a faggot. More or yeah. less, like he's, like, he's such a sissy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the best. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I mean, heck, e- even the sort of blood and gore, like the 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 cutscene where Olmeda turns into the smile, like that is disturbing. Oh yeah, where and he, then he he blows up a, a an arena full of people at a pop concert. Oh yeah, and he's come and he's orgasming while he's yeah. doing it. He's like, <laughs> you know. Uh, which apparently technically he didn't do apparently in like the thing it's like oh smiles exploded that but even then like Almeida is like on this video feed <laughs> and he's just like oh god I'm coming oh I'm yep. coming yahoo and he's this the stadium explodes behind him like it <laughs> it's so I, I can laugh about it you know you and I can laugh about it but it's just like when you first experience that, it's like, what am I experiencing? Because nothing else is like this. No game, it just goes to that yeah. level. I mean, heck. And like, nothing else ever will. No, like, heck, even like one of the, the latter fights, the Greg Nightmare fight, you know, there's this like fat, naked, you know, fat hangman uh, that you have to fight and you have to shoot him in the dick uh, in order to defeat him. Yeah. Uh, uh there's he's this... he's the he and you know another thing that I think is interesting about these games is that uh a lot of the boss fights aren't hard at all. Like No, they're that, not. That's that's the the one you just said is the final boss and mm-hmm. it's it's like easy. It's yeah. but it's really just <laughs> they'll be really disturbing. But Yeah, that one specific, you know, you have this like guy hanging from the ceiling. You have to shoot him to get him to swing back and forth so that his pants fall off. And then you have to Mm -hmm. shoot him in the dick. But then you have these heaven smiles that basically eliminate each one of your party members until Garcian can defeat him with the golden gun. But and even, they, not only not only do they eliminate everyone in the party, like that's that's them like finally dying. Yeah, yeah, they don't come back after that. Yeah, I mean, and and you can shoot them all you want, but they mm-hmm. don't die. It's just this impending doom six times in a row. Yeah, and which is such a great moment too, like from a perspective of like being a director like Suda it's like you know a game is all about sort of reinforcing like oh yeah you can beat this sort of thing you could beat this obstacle you could beat the boss mm-hmm. you know but to sort of take that control and this is not the only example of this like heck yeah. the, the, there's the handsome man fight that's completely scripted and you have no input on yep. you know half your team dies uh, you know the, Suda is not afraid to have like a boss fight be a scripted story moment for the sake of like 
having impact on the player. And, you know, I, you know, I think that, you know, that sequence in the school is great. And then like the sequence that follows it is like one of my favorite things ever, Uh, like him going back to the hotel and learning the truth about what's happening. Oh yeah. Where you, you get a glimpse into, you know, Garcia, it, it's revealed that Garcian was a childhood, a child prodigy assassin uh, named Amir Park Reiner. And turns out that he actually killed all the members of the killer seven, including Harmon, you know, seemingly. And, you know, he, you know, you, you basically experience this in one of the most visually striking like levels in the entire game, which that's something we haven't mentioned. It's like the visual, this, the visuals of this game is, Mm, right, unique too. Right. I mean, it's cell it's cell shading, and there's been countless games that have done cell shading. You know, heck, Zelda did it one time. Yep. You know, but this is a different cell shaded look. Like everything is like one color, pretty much. And I was talking to um, I think Fogbrain, uh, who was on the show earlier in the season. This game is not afraid to have just like pitch black shadow like it's just there's no shading or anything it's just when there's shadows it is solid black like and it's such a striking aesthetic like yeah it'll be your character and then you're just like kind of running in a void mm -hmm. yeah it's very like these levels which are very yeah literally these levels feel like voids because there's like no people except for these ghost psych remnants and or just these sort of like helpless people that get just mer- butchered like butchered off by the heaven smiles and the only characters of matter usually get killed off very abruptly and violently yeah uh so like you traverse this world and it's very bleak and very empty and alone and you know the hotel too it's like all these beautiful color palettes like these purples and reds that are just very very off-putting like i mean it's beautiful but it's off-putting yeah like, uh and, you know, it's, it you reminds can... me of like did you ever play uh like the on super smash brothers i mean it may have just been the first one but when you go to like the, the practice version of the map yes and it's it's just like the background with that with that uh ominous logo mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about yeah i do know what you're talking about that was always very disturbing to me to play it like that. And that's what killer seven reminds me of is yeah, that, it, that, uh, that emptiness it's yeah. It, it Obviously there's games throughout time that have evoked this very, very same feeling, whether if it's the intentional or unintentional because of hardware limits and, you know, killer seven, you know, it had the benefit of getting Capcom money, you know, and this was early 2000. So Capcom had the money sort of thing. But, you know, it's clear the Killer 7 didn't get like millions upon millions of dollars sort of thing. Right. Um, but it's like the, it's like that great, it's a great um, thing where it's like the limitations breed something beautiful as a result. And yes. Uh, this this speaks down from the visuals. The, down, heck, the, the soundtrack is amazing. Oh, this the is... soundtrack is so good, man. <laughs> uh, there's so many. A lot amazing... of it sounds like like '90s coil to me. Um, mm-hmm. There's a uh, 
the man, I forget which song it is. Um, but one of them reminds me of particularly like on Love's Secret Domain. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a song called Further Back and Faster. Mm-hmm. That's that's just uh, just like this pounding um, electronic track, and mm-hmm. it's it samples uh, uh, the Nick Rogue movie Performance, which is also about like a, a gangster killers swapping identities. Mm-hmm. I just I thought that was an interesting connection, but yeah, the soundtrack is great. It's uh, I, I would not be shocked if like. <clears throat> they pulled in from influence from that because it's very similar you know yeah yeah definitely. Um, you know the soundtrack was done by june fukuda you know he wasn't the main guy but he was definitely he was a regular in the capcom sphere sort of thing but the main composer was masafumi takata who he's been in the industry a long time he, and he's been a frequent collaborator with suda um he's also done music for earth defense uh, force and the I don't know if you've played this series, but Dongaropa. Um, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's there's so many mishmashes of genres in the soundtrack. You can go from like this ominous, like brooding, like ambient soundtrack to a full on like techno rave with that one song, mm-hmm. rave, rave on, rave on. Yeah, <laughs> um, it plays before, it always plays before the boss fights in the stairwells. Yeah. It only plays in stairwells, which is hilarious to me. It's like arguably the most notable track on the soundtrack, and it's like you'll last for just six seconds. It's like yeah. if you're if you're just gunning it through the hallway, which is <laughs> which is funny because I think this playthrough that's playing on the TV back here, but well, it's not this one. There's another playthrough that I've watched before, and the guy who's playing it, he's just whenever he gets to the hallway, he just like makes sure his characters like move on the beat. Like, <laughs> that's it's, funny. Um, <laughs> But you know the point being, you know, Ray Vaughn is amazing. I I forget the the I song. Made pl- that- I made a playlist on on YouTube because the whole soundtrack is on YouTube. But yeah. uh, of all the all the highlights, it's like I don't know, fifteen songs that are just really loved. Yeah, there. But- I mean, heck, the game gets off on a great foot to begin with. With a. Uh, when you that uh, song that plays as soon as you like press the start button, it's like do 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 do. You know. Uh, I don't know. I oh, can't. to to cho- like the to choose the difficulty. The difficulty. Yeah, yeah. Like, that one is a great mood setter because it's so just it's so just like menacing sounding, and it then is. like and then it just picks up and it's just like becomes. Yeah, like, if you if you switch to the higher difficulty, it, it the the BPM goes way up. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Or even there's even when even when the soundtrack gets quieter, like the the song, you know when. Garcian has the realization that he's a mirror. That song that that almost Laura Palmer esque song. Yes, uh, Angels Despair. Just that like electronic organ sound. It's like perfect, perfect. It's like I could listen to this. I was listening to the soundtrack at work the other day. I was like, this. I could listen to this all day long. And there's there's songs that are not considered like the official soundtrack either, which it's like adds more mystery to this game it's like there's more layers to peel back like like the the song that plays when garcian and christopher are on the overpass it's like that slow just guitars like like Mm -hmm. the free i think it's called free move free more i can't remember but like that that's like a unofficial soundtrack song like 
I was I was looking. I'm sure I missed it, but like the song that plays when Christopher or not Christopher, uh, Curtis and Pedro have their scene in the tennis court, mm-hmm. and like I was looking for that song because it it it. I I wish I I could remember what it was evoking for me, but just like that that evil tech like synth techno bass that just like picks up louder and louder. Yeah, as like yeah. Pedro realizes he's done for. The music at Curtis's house is some of my favorite. Yeah. Oh, can, I, can we talk about Curtis? Because I think he's my yes. favorite of the bosses. Like, oh, mine too. That boss battle was so cool. An- again, another one that's not particularly hard, but it's just so but it's, cool. It's so unique. I mean, for for one, Curtis's design is like you know, it's like like Curtis's mm-hmm. visual look is like the all white with the white hair, and a lot of times he's just in that like pose. It's just like like that like a yeah. like a praying mantis stance mixed with like being crucified stance yeah. uh and plus the cell shading just makes it look even cooler and yeah he's got that it's like his his suit is all white but it's got that purple stuff at the yeah. ends of the sleeves yeah yeah and i if I, I could be remembering it wrong but he has like intricate like detailing on yeah the yeah there's there's some kind of detail like some kind of design i could yeah, really tell what it was it's so great but like curtis I mean, I love the introduction of Curtis where he's just, you're in first person as he murders that one building in oh, Seattle. Yeah. And yeah. he just goes into an office and shoots everybody. Yeah, and he spares the one girl who beca- <laughs> becomes a sub-boss. Like the yeah. Ayami Black... Is it Ayami Blackburn? Yeah, like, yeah Ayami. Yeah. Where <laughs> randomly sued is like, here, I'm going to have a magic girl uh, like profess her like mission statement to protect the education uh part of the high school and she's wearing like this magic you know this cosplay mask on top of her because she's like she's just like a normal like ginger girl Mm -hmm. uh and she's just wearing this like magical girl like sailor moon mask on top of her and she's doing like poses with an assault rifle yeah she just (laughs) she just like he adopts her and then she just basically worships him after that yeah (laughs) it's so great um yeah, I mean, Kurt, like the Curtis, really, like his whole mission, uh, just feels so properly like evil throughout the whole thing. You know, yep. you just it doesn't feel right. Like you know, and you you get those sort of revelations about him and Dan as they were former partners uh, with Pedro, the third member of the party, and then you learn, you know, Curtis kills Dan because Pedro tries to get him out of the picture yeah they have a they have a child trafficking ring uh, yeah which is isn't it curtis traffics the girl and pedro does the boys it's like oh man that is something no game would ever dare cross again like yeah yeah and then you go to like the mission is at curtis's house and he's like got 15 lamborghinis and this super expensive house that has another house attached to it it's it's yeah. it's just it's just scary, like you said. It it's, feels but evil it, and not right. It, it feels like an old like correct like it feels kind of like an eighties sort of like you have this like mob boss esque type character who has everything, but like he's a, a pure evil hearted person. Which by I mean, yeah. I I love you know I'm glad Suda depicted Curtis as he did and any game i speak for any game too when a game just is like 
yeah, there's no like reason for this. He's just pure evil. Like, mm-hmm. and granted, you know, it's not like Curtis is like on one side of the like morality specter and the killer seven or are on the opposite side thing. No, it's like right. they're right. all they're all they're all bad evil. people. <laughs> <laughs> they're all bad people but curtis is just a little bit worse but yeah the, i you know for me personally like the the scene with him where he confronts pedro in the the racquetball court that 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 scene is special like it's so it it's so it's shot very just like off-putting like where like curtis is like in a corner of a frame and it's like moving and I love the sound too when like Pedro's like on the ground, like, like, you know, he hears his shoes like squeak on the floor and he's like, you know, trying to, you know, grabbing his, you know, his child's head and like, <laughs> he's like, what, what did you do with Susie? And then he yeah. says, she's right here. And he throws <laughs> her head at him. <laughs> yeah. Af- after he says like, yeah, I raped your wife and killed your son. You yeah, know, Pedro Jr. <laughs> 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 oh, Pedro, Pedro Jr. Fet met his men. <laughs> oh my god! And then that scene, and then obviously you get the climax of the scene, which uh, which has my favorite Dan line, which is you know I went to see the devil. Now it you know now it's your turn or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and then it, also <laughs> during that mission, whenever. Uh... Uh, so you have to you have to go to a TV to switch to, to switch the characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to, but you can. And uh, whenever Dan, uh, when you're cycling through them, each character kind of just has a line. Mm-hmm. And for that mission, Dan has like this whole monologue about the hatred swelling up inside of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that part is so cool. Yeah, it's just it's such a just masterpiece of like level and no granted i think like a lot i think my favorite levels are like the opening curtis uh olmeda um, olmeda is great too that's an, that's another just great example of the emptiness it's just west texas and then there are these smiles that run that are <laughs> that are just like they're not even after you half the time they just run and the, maybe they bump into you and explode but they're just uh they're just cult members of Omega's yeah. cult. Uh, I'll save Omega for a few seconds, but like you know, Curtis. Uh, I also love the handsome men level. Um, yeah, you know, the beach, which, the, the tropical island. Yeah, in, in the Dominican Republic. Which, yeah, which is like visually wonderful. I mean, I love that sort of like beach esque look, but the all white uh, level. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, man every part of this game is awesome but like i love with just like curtis has this very the way it ends to where dan you know dan deliver you know dan usually when he kills people he delivers like you know the one-liner he's cool he's badass whatever mm-hmm. but i love how it just punctuates you know before dan can even really properly get the final like you know uh punch in metaphorically you know, he just sees the dead bodies of Pedro's family being hung up naked just mm-hmm. in the corner and he just looks and then he just leaves. Like that that's such like a great bookend to it all. It's uh, it's oh man, it's so cool. I mean, and also, you know, the fact that like Curtis meets his end being like, <laughs> you know, in the like 
purple like crystal drill whatever that is Yeah, whatever that is. that i guess the organ harvest harvester and he's just <laughs> and then he's just hung up like just yeah. like blank looks like life uh what's the lines like life wonderful uh it is or something like that it's just like Yeah, oh yeah. fantastic <laughs> you get Voila. a gold you get a gold star suda for that whole level uh I, I, yeah and then you know omeda is another great example of just how great this game is in terms of just like building everything out uh well i love you know it's set in texas but i love the sort of bleed into that level too where garcian is talking to mills Oh, and yeah. he's like uh yeah we're going to texas it's like why texas well it's like he's wearing the shirt texas bronco no one wears that shirt except in texas <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah <laughs> it was and like then then it has the there's a lot of uh, animated cutscenes that they're like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like actual anime and then when Garcian's walking into the town he interacts with this guy and he's like oh we don't get many Too many black black folk fight around around here here. <laughs> <laughs> Again, would not be allowed today. Um, yep yep um, yeah but that, that's a thing too, because you know the game has a lot of in-game cutscenes with the 3D models and all that. But when it does do the it. you know, has these 2D scenes, I love that they change the style of the 2D Yeah. scenes. Like, Yeah. the whole, the Cloud Man level, you know, Omeda's level, it has this very, like, harsh, you know, thick line, almost animated, like... Looks like the gorillas Yeah, um yeah, yeah, yeah. videos. Yeah. It, it totally looks like that. And now, I don't know if they got that studio. I don't think they did, but it gives off that that impression and it feels it gives that feeling of just like a pet uh, like uh, incoming like just um it, to me at least i kind of feel like there's something like very um graphic is about to happen like there's you know there's something that it's building up to something it's there's something happening there's something going to happen that is a reason for this very distinct style Mm -hmm. um <laughs> yep. and i guess you know the final cutscene, you know the series of cutscenes, i guess you know where <laughs> omeda has clemens the kid ha yeah do his uh his wish he goes ride the death race you know by the way omeda's this like black guy with an afro in a texas bronco uh shirt and he's like the most southern like texas accent ever he's like you ride the death race and if you win you get your prize clemens it's like <laughs> Omeda is such a great
you see like these tendrils of blood holding up his mm-hmm. tendrils of blood holding up his afro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. I love that. It's like a very uh off, you know, just a very, I guess you could say quirky the character design just having his afro be like the weak point of that <laughs> boss it's like yeah one shot you know basically a one-shot kill hit the afro you hit kill omeda yeah um, that one's that one's not hard either but it is damn scary yeah because you're forced into these ambulance vehicles and you have to like run around trying to find him and he has yeah like, there's like 20 of them all lined up that you can go <laughs> in and out of Yes. For, for whatever reason yeah for, <laughs> why why were these ambulances here don't, don't worry about a kid you know right? just, just experience this cool set piece boss sort of thing yeah. um and he'll just he'll just pop up around the corner and then, kill you immediately this is that and that's why i do kevin because i can backflip around a corner yeah. and be like yeah. well if i get if i backflip fast enough i can get to the afro which is like usually behind Olmeda. But then, mm. like, you know, you kill Omeda, and then, you know, you just have, like, the raining blood, and then the fact when Clemens comes back, the car is coated in Omeda's blood, and he's just like, this is Omeda's blood. And, you know, I can, I had a sixth sense to, he's our messiah. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, the fact that, like, Omeda talks to Clemens as a psychic remnant, and you know, I think I think the Omeda sequence for me personally is when I started to grasp sort of this, uh, which actually kind of relates, you know, cause that, you know, me and Zane are doing this recording. It's near Automata's sixth anniversary. That story, that game has a very similar story of like the cycle always repeats, you know, there's always a good and evil at play. There's two sides at war with each other, you know, the right, killer seven right. sort of Harmon, the good Kunla, the evil, the yin and yang, and the sort of cycle will repeat itself consistently. One side will balance out the other. And I feel like the Olmeda chapter is like, I think where, where you get the sense of that. I think that's what I was trying to get at at the beginning is like, it's not about particularly about the political, the geopolitical conflict that is at play, which there sure. is, there is a story at play. There, I'm not denying that like, there's some interesting dialogue and interesting thematic parts to that side of the story but i think you know you get you get beaded through you get you know you get reminded through the game that there is this sort of site this omnipresent cycle being played over you the killer seven you know you're doing missions killing these people yeah eliminating the heaven smile you know reviving yourself keep going at it all sort of things and you you piece it all together and i think by the end of the game you you know you get revealed the game shows its hand amir slash garcian killed the killer seven years ago and you you learn like oh hey harman as sort of the this god like figure revives the killer seven brings garcian slash amir in and it's like the cycle keeps going and going and it literally has like if you read the the backstory this harm has been alive since the 1700s yeah and also um with the cosmic battle thing and and it being cyclical you uh, ostensibly kun lan is like the main boss but you never fight him he shows up like maybe three times in the whole game uh at the end of the first mission you you when you're playing as Harmon, you 
you pull out your 50 cal and you shoot him, but he catches it with, with his, what is god it? A hand. God hand. Yeah. Yeah. So badass. <laughs> and then he <laughs> flies across the map with the bullet in his hand and he lands, lands on, on like the, the space, space needle. needle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then just, you know, throws the bullet down and says equip and then starts laughing like the Joker. <laughs> and then, and then the game ends with the exact same thing happening again. Yeah. I mean, and then it's just, it's just, you'll see Kunlan every once in a while, but it'll just be him and Harmon playing chess. Yeah, which I guess we can talk about Harmon and Kunlan briefly. They're, they're great. Their dynamic is so great. I mean, it, it, I guess, you know, to bring, even though Killer Seven's not like Twin Peaks esque or in, you know, it's not directly trying to go for the Twin Peaks sort of experience per se, but it's clearly influenced. I mean, heck, you know, when the game does its loading screens, it has like that blue static that's oh, very yeah, Lynchian. Yeah. That's very Lynchian. Yeah. Um, but like Harmon and Kun Lan remind me of like, you know, the characters uh, like in the uh, in the room above the convenience store, you know, these yep. like cast of characters that are overseeing the balance of power in the world. And Kunlan and Harmon are definitely that. Like the you know, the the good versus the evil, one has to balance each other out. And I love how, you know, Kunlan, it, it's revealed that Iwazaru was Kunlan trying to help you, but like it balances out like Harmon helping out Kunlan uh in his efforts. And there's this very great just back and forth dynamic at play with these two cosmic forces. Um, yeah, I, they're, they're definitely like Black Lodge characters. They <clears throat> they're just eternal. Yeah, they're they're really just these constant figureheads at the forefront of humanity in this world, and they're always you know even. I don't think this game is full face like bleak and miserable, sort of like message to it all i think there is like a glimmer of hope you know i think amir garcian whatever you whatever you want to call him i guess i'll call him garcian you know because that's who i know him as most of the game but like garcian is able to break free of the cycle himself you know to become amir again and be free of you know harman so to speak and i think they're that that's sort of like the core but like i love how no matter what you seemingly kill kunlan you seemingly kill harman but they always come back. They're like mm-hmm. the 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 seed of evil and the seed of good are always recycled and reborn, and they'll keep playing out in this game of chess. Like they both literally do. They both comment on on, on it, uh, you know. Which I think is you know when Harmon said you know when Kunlan's like oh, just like our chess games, you always seem to win, <laughs> which makes me think <laughs> that that maybe like the Garcian is like. Oh, hey, this is Harmon winning because Harmon and uh, Garcian, Garcian was a, a Harmon's sort of like teacher character right. uh, in his early life, and it's like him being able to escape the sort of prison of Harmon's game, as it were, is like kind of like our kind of like our chess games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My, yeah, ex- yeah. I'm Kun Lan in this case because I always <laughs> lose to you. <laughs> So oh, I mean, man. you'll you'll get it, you'll get it down. Just it, keep playing. Yeah, if I, rem- I I I'm bad at remembering to do my move. I'm just like I get stuck <laughs> on a move, and I'm just like, oops, I forgot for a week. Um, 
for those who don't know me and today and play i message chess uh it's a great times they beats me uh all the time <laughs> um it's fun it's yeah, a fun it, it is it's fun. always a fun game and you you get better every time i try i mean i try a new strategy every round uh sometimes i'm like well what if i copied every move he did or <laughs> uh, what if i only what if i went exterior or what you know you know it, yeah. we're very kuhn lawn Harmon in that case just always playing chess uh <laughs> which i guess that means uh i will say it's <laughs> there's always time for fun it's friday night <laughs> it's friday night yeah. <laughs> which is such a which is such a what the hell line is like why is right? what, <laughs> It's Kun Lan talking about, oh, there's time. It's Friday night. Let's dance. It's like, yeah. it just caps with you just shooting him out of the room. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my God. That, again, that, 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 that's like a Suda thing. Like Suda's like, this is, is going to be a great line. This yeah. is going to be a great scene, which it is. I mean, heck, there's a gimmick account that I retweet every Friday, basically, yeah. um, that has that line because it, it's Again, perfect because it has that like weird te- again another weird techno track playing underneath it, mm-hmm. and it's like it, it feels yeah. like a dance. Like there really is going to be a dance happening. Yeah, I remember when I first saw you retweet that, I was like, "Oh hell yeah, someone else who knows Killer Seven. <laughs> Listen, like I, I, years ago. <laughs> yeah, I I will say I am glad that like obviously you because you know we were prepping for this episode, but I've been loving bonding with fog brain and uh yerk about this because uh yeah. they're both fans of killer seven as well it, it, it you know killer seven was not like a massive critical success i think it only sold like 150,000 copies which is minuscule yeah even even back game. then so it's like it's a cult game and it earns that title of cult game but it, it kind of creates this like wonderful little uh like club of people it's like if if you know you know like you you, mm-hmm. you know the like just uh you, he's like hey remember that scene where mass head butts a bullet <laughs> it's like which again another I, I keep saying it another great track plays on underneath it um yep. god <laughs> I, I I feel like, you know, I'm at this point where I'm just like listing, oh, hey, remember this cool scene? Remember that cool scene? It's like, well, because it is because it's there's so many cool scenes amidst this like dark and somber and very like evil feeling game. But it's just like because there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else. like No, it. nothing. No, like <laughs> this is a very, 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 very small detail. But I love that the handsome man comic artist is named Trevor Pearl Harbor. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's such that's like a pseudo name, like Travis Touchdown. Yeah, Travis uh, Touchdown. Dan Smith, Mask the Smith, like um, uh, there was a, there was another one that I thought was really funny in that uh what's the oh it's not the Johnny Ga- Ga- Gagnon or Gagnon, whatever his name is, the, the <laughs> private investigator guy, but there was another there's another name that's uh written in one of those notes. It's a name like that, but yeah, yeah he does no. have funny names. Yeah, I mean, uh, Samantha Sitbon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, man, I love pseudo names. They're very, they're kind of like Ayn Rand names, where it's just like they're very like infectious to say. Like, right. you know, uh, even though it's not Killer Seven, it's like Travis Touchdown. 
It's such a, <laughs> it's such like a goofy name, but it's like the coolest name ever. Dan Smith is the most, you know, vanilla name ever, but it's still cool because it's Dan Smith holding, you know, the de the demon gun. Uh <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, another another tiny little detail I love about this game is the reloads. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> I just love seeing like you know a coyote when he reloads and he just like you know, points his gun back out like in his like gang execution style. And or... it sound they all sound really good too. Oh yeah, they're all great except for Kaide's because her takes for hers takes forever. Yeah, it's the... <laughs> her her bumbling with her clip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I forget. Does that does her gun have a name? I forget if it does. Um, I think so. It just looks like a 1911 Magnum. I was just curious because you know, Resident Evil Four has a Magnum called the Killer Seven. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> just... yeah. <laughs> uh, Wasn't you know, it like they the same people worked on the game or something? Yeah, Shinji Mikami. He was the director of RE4. And yes, he was that's the, right. That's right. Yeah. Was, yeah. So. You know him. I think Shinji. I think definitely views uh, Suda as one of his like proteges in a way. Mm -hmm. um, even though Shinji is a very groundbreaking mind in the industry. I mean, he created Resident Evil. He, you know, he he revolutionized gameplay with Resident Evil Four. Uh, he made a bonkers, insane game in God Hand. Uh, we forget the evil within uh that one was kind of a mess um, oh i remember that game yeah um but it's clear that yeah, i think he views suda as one of his protégés uh you know who wasn't directly beneath him sort of thing you know cuz shinji has i think worked to some degree on almost all of suda's games which is cool like in its own hand right uh it's another i mean i love um I love Suda's protégés. His most recent protégés were that one girl from Tango, uh, Ikumi Nakamura, the the cute like the cute cla glasses girl who just posed on stage. She's like, "Oh yeah, I did the character <laughs> art for Bayonetta in Evil Within. I did all the monster designs, and they're all like nightmare eldritch horror things." And she's like this adorable Japanese woman. Um, <laughs> and then his other one is an American uh, who did Hi Fi Rush. Uh, John Johannes, um, who also did the Evil Within too, but you know, Hi Fi Rush is the new it thing. But yeah, I, I, right. I it's clear that I think you know, if you're Shinji Mikami, you're you're more or less kind of like a legend in the industry at this point. You know, you made Resident Definitely. Evil, you you Definitely. re you redid Resident Evil with the remake. He you know he did the remake of it, and he ushered in like a new take a new spin on his own franchise uh and then you know he reinvented his own franchise more or less before but i i, I respect that he saw something with pseudo's work because you know if he, it, i feel like if any other sort of executive producer at capcom had saw this concept they'd be like what the fuck is this like it mm -hmm. makes this game makes no sense. It's way too extreme. It's way too out there. And, you know, but Shinji is also kind of an out there thinker. He's a very visionary and very, um, he has a very, like a set purpose in mind with his game. So I'm very grateful that he 
stuck through with this game and he said like yeah like this idea is great the only thing i think shinji ever said was like hey just cut this down so that your team has like something to work with kind of um yeah but i mean i think you know we you know i you and i and i think anyone who's ever played this understands like how fantastic it is because it takes you on so many emotional roller coasters and these roller coasters happen very quickly you mm-hmm. know you go from like you know iwazaru saying like oh yeah she has a big rack doesn't she <laughs> to like a character espousing like their sort of like deep thoughts about their death and what they think is about to happen then you have like dan smith uh throwing out a one-liner like it- it's such a back and forth dynamic very fitting of the game but i love i love an experience like this with the game because it's a very you know unique thing to games is like this sort of ability to take you on whatever it wants to do and the by act of playing it it becomes even more magical to me um i think i think you know you know killer seven is just i don't know what else to say i mean it's really just a unique game there's nothing like it you know there's never been a on rails game like it since or heck you could even argue before it there's no game that has as much edge or darkness or bleakness as it does there's no sort of pure unadulterated like aesthetic um inspiration behind a game like this i mean (laughs) what it's just it's a this is a per this is one of those it's a perfect game game no it it, i really people that people that do criticize this game just don't like rail shooters Mm -hmm. yeah no it i feel like that's the biggest hurdle for this game is the fact that it's rail shooter but it's like you know, if you get it, if you you know, if you grew up in rail shooters or you like rail shooters, it's like, oh, man, this is the coolest one yet. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> I, sure. Outside of it being just a cool ass game, um, mm-hmm. the rail, the rail, the the on rails nature of it, the blunt and obtuseness of it, teaching you how everything is or where to go or what to do. Heck, I mean the fact that like there's a disembodied head named Susie that has a ring in her mouth and she's just like oh yeah here's the ring that you need uh I'm gonna go on a diatribe about like why I hate uh the guy that I was with and why I like (laughs) cut his dick off why I killed him yeah uh as she's like communicating with Japanese emoticons um (laughs) yeah most people aren't gonna jive to the way it plays as a first person shooter because it's very pinpoint precision based um and in many ways you know the fact that you have to scan to see your enemies is also like a very thing it takes some takes some getting used to oh yeah but like as soon as you get it you get it and it becomes like a very repetitive loop that feels good like you know obviously there's value in creating like a complex deep layered gameplay system that keeps rewarding you and giving you the sort of necessary uh you know what's the word like just the 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 
the loop, the loop is satisfying. You know, mm-hmm. if I were to compare of this era, you know, Devil May Cry has that sort of like rewarding gameplay loop of defeating enemies. You get you get the orbs to get new moves to level up your moves, right. uh, and then you know you test your skills against tough boss fights, all that stuff, and. You know, Killer Seven is not as in depth or mechanically challenging or mechanically complex as something like a Devil May Cry, but right. it doesn't have to be. You know, it's there to get you to the next story to unlock itself. The unlock, yeah, it, it has enough. Of, it has enough of that of that sense of progress being made with the 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 blood and the upgrades, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not overly complicated. It's not complicated at all. It's just it's just repetitive gameplay with uh, just more and more interesting and and wacky things happening. Yeah, exactly. It you know by playing the game, you get to see more, and by seeing more, you question more, and you question more, you get the answers possibly. Um, and that's oh, sort and of- here's here's another thing uh, with regards to making progress um when you go to the gate the the vinculum gate mm-hmm. which is what you go to before every boss and when the rave on song plays <laughs> there's a new type of heaven smile revealed before each part yes and they'll usually um like you know it, it gives you kind of a hint about how to kill this new one and then they'll end up just like showing up later on in the game and just being normal like not not being normal, but being normal a normal like enemy that you that you have to have to um, find a way to kill alongside the other types of heaven smiles that you encounter. Yeah. What it, was your What was your favorite heaven smile? That's a tough one. Um, I always have a soft spot for the egg laying one because oh yeah. I, well, I which granted it's a very early level one, but what I like about it is kind of how Travis explains it all. He's just like sitting in a car and he's just like, oh yeah, that one just lays eggs. Uh, and you need a charge shot with Dan basically mm-hmm. to get it. And I, I like that sort of just like nonchalantness about it all. Right. And it's just like this grotesque, like ceiling egg that's spurting out smiles that are coming at you at a decent pace, mind you. Yeah, and, you gotta be quick. Yeah, you gotta be quick. You gotta be precise. But I love... I, I love just being exposed to that after these very basic smiles um, and just being like confronted by this very grotesque sight. And it's just like kind of played off as, you know, Travis, as you're like one, one of your sort of guiding voices, he's just like, yeah, well, you know, just get your charge shot. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ones that, the ones that, uh, that, that walk around at lay are scary yeah <laughs> i mean the the smiles are just genuinely off-putting and unnerving like yeah they are just i mean for one i love how they're introduced like that one character is just like i have been chosen and then grant another classic dan moment it's just oh, like yeah. he just turns around it's just bang and that 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 sound they play when they get killed finally that like mm-hmm. that bright sort of keyboard sound that plays that's so satisfying to hear every time yep. like a textbook example of just like making it feel good to like yes do yes. something like that sound when you kill a smile 
is so good. But then, you know, uh, and then Dan is just like, there's, there's 14. The bastards more are than free. Those He's bastards are breeding. breeding. <laughs> like, yeah. you, my God. It's uh, Dan's great. Uh, mm-hmm. but the, 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 like when you actually get the demon gun, like not only how powerful it is, but just the thundering sound of, oh, yeah. of just boom, 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 with 12 bullets in a revolver. It's it's just ah man, there's so much good in this game. My God, it's mm-hmm. just, I, I feel like you and I could talk about this game for hours because there, I mean, there literally is. You know, you look online and you know you see the video essay. And there's there's tons of video oh, yeah. essays about this game. Like, yeah, for for such a for such a lesser known game that didn't sell much there are tons there's a lot of video content about it yeah and granted even then you're not getting the full picture about it no no not without playing it no yeah you you really have to play this to even just like get the base level of understanding yeah like to know how the world works and all that stuff yeah, I feel like people are going to have no idea what we're talking about. But <laughs> they have to. You just got to play it, man. Yeah, I, I, the way I view this episode is like here. Here's the sample. The, uh, you know, here's the the demo, as it were. You know, get uh-huh. get get the sort of uh, uh, appetizer. You know, granted, I I don't care if I spoiled the ending. Who cares? You know, this game. Oh, even even if you do, you're you know, not going to remember. <laughs> you're not going to remember. You're not going to yeah, get it. This game came out 18 years. You know, you should have played it by then. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I guess, I guess to wrap things up, I mean, Killer Seven is the epitome. You know, you know, one of the shining examples of just like when you let a mind like Suda have at it, it's like magic. Like you know, all these conf contrasting conflicting styles all coming together to create something truly magical you know that's the sort of genius of suda 51 that's the ability of an auteur because i would call suda an auteur Um, you know when you let someone have their vision you know capcom in a brilliant stroke of genius was like yeah, we're we're not tampering with this. You you do as you see fit. You know, mm-hmm. that is something to really hold dear when you know in respect and cherish in this industry because a lot of times you don't see it. You know, there's some other one. You know, obviously Kojima. You know, as as Kojima's biggest dick sucker on the internet. Um, <laughs> but you know, I can't remember his name. Like the the guy who made Ico and Shadow of the Colossus and The Last Guardian. That's another example of like a guy getting to do something that's different and unique yeah. and maybe not mainstream, but it connects with a large audience. And sure, Killer Seven didn't per se connect with a large audience, but you know, I think it got Suda into the door and allowed for people to pro- to begin to appreciate him as a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that Killer Seven. It's his best work. I think Killer Seven is a once, you know, at the very least a once in a generation type experience. I think it's heck a once in a medium type experience, unless Suda says, "Hey, I'm going to do a proper Killer Eight 
you know, sort Ooh. of thing. Killer Seven too. Um, uh, I don't know if we'll ever see something like that, but at the very least, you know, I always say it's like, you know, if we if we don't see this again, that's okay. But at least this happened, sort of thing. You yeah, know? yeah. There are, there are very few pieces of media that I would that I'm like wishing a sequel would happen. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this it, this would be this would I would really love to see with, another Killer Seven. Which you know, Suda said in that one video I talked about, uh, he was on. He's like, yeah, I would love to one day do like a a, a proper Killer Seven where I don't cut everything out. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> please, please, I want to see your full like un unfiltered creative genius, Suda. Please don't tease me like this. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, do you have any other closing thoughts on Killer Seven? Uh, just just play the game, guys. Get to get that get that PC copy or shell it out. Shell out the the hundred bucks for a GameCube one or whatever. Yeah, Even PS2, the PS2 one, which arguably is the worst version. The PS2 well, what, version. What is, it, what is it so bad about it? Like the longer load screens. Longer load screens. The visuals have some hiccups. Uh, it's clear that the game was not made for the DualShock um, sort of thing. Um, I think the performance is like worse. They they even used a different engine for the game on the PS2 because oh, really? it was it was handled by some like no name company. Uh, it's like project agency was their name or something like it's just it's not the ideal version the ideal version to play this game is the gamecube or the pc one but honestly just i know you as a listener you have probably a laptop that's probably Mm -hmm. no older than like i don't know no older than like eight years old you can (laughs) play this game you know you know or just shell out a copy for for an old copy like you know what i i have two copies of the gamecube one if, <laughs> for mutuals dm me or <laughs> you can you can borrow it i want <laughs> you, you to the, play it though yeah you gotta prove you gotta send zane pictures that you've pr- beaten it <laughs> yeah. uh if it or else you know well you know, we'll, fi- we'll figure out a punishment if you don't finish it if, <laughs> if, he, if zane loads it to you but um yeah, no. Uh, I thank you, Zane, for this. This was such a wonderful time. Uh, yeah, thank you. This was uh, I had a blast. <laughs> you know, this is just the 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 goal of the show is just to talk about games that are great. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what the show's about. And Killer Seven <laughs> is that type of game. You know, Killer Seven almost was the intro theme for this game for the show. You know, oh really? The, yeah the the load the the difficulty select theme was going to be the intro oh, at one yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, uh, which would have been perfect. But you know, hey, that would fit. That would yeah, also I, fit. Maybe yeah. I'll do it. I'll maybe I'll make the intro, like, I'll make the intro for this episode just that song. Oh, that would be so badass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, this will be a golden little Easter egg for the listeners. You get to the end of this, like, if, did I do it? You know, you'll find out. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, I thank you so much, Zane. It's been uh, so much, so much, so much fun. Uh, and I think that is a wonderful time to say the recording stops here.